0: 1 Corinthians, 5th chapter. <laughs> now in the first uh, four chapters, you remember Paul was dealing with the serious nature of division and how it, it cannot exist. It will ultimately divide the church into fra- uh, into segments or fractions. And so now in chapter 5, he turns his attention toward those 17 problems that they have there at Corinth that needs to be corrected. And the first one right out of the box, as we looked at last week, was this fella living with his father's wife. And in our discussion, we got down to... um, I don't want to go back over what we looked at last week. Uh, But uh, Paul's talking about discipline and discipline is unwanted stepchild of uh, Bible doctrine. Nobody wants to deal with discipline. Uh, We feel a lot of times that it's better in our estimation to tolerate certain things uh, and Paul's going to tell him here that this thing is of such a serious nature it can't be tolerated. Uh, this man hasn't just stumbled. he's deliberately went off into this lifestyle living with his father and wife into this situation. Uh, so but nevertheless, discipline is the unwanted stepchild of Bible uh, doctrine. We don't want this one. We go through the Bible kind of like we're in a cafeteria. And we do this, but we don't look down our nose at the Baptists because we go through the Bible cafeteria style somewhat like they do. We, there are certain things we leave alone. And here's one that we leave alone, is church discipline. Um, so our attitude a lot of times is, give me some of that Lord's Supper every Sunday, and I'll take uh, some of that uh, uh, malice uh, for no music singing, and don't give me none of that personal work, because last time I've got uh, indigestion, don't give me any of that church discipline, it gives me a headache, last time I ate it, and so we go through the Bible picking out what we want. I mean, we go through the Bible like we're at a granny's buffet, picking and choosing. And, of course, how dare we look down our nose at others uh, when we do it. That's what we indict the Baptists and the domination world for doing is going through the Bible a cafeteria style, picking out what they want and leaving alone what they don't want. Well, here's something that the Corinthians was priding themselves in. They were proud of the fact that they were tolerating this guy living with his father's wife. Aren't we Christian to do that, to tolerate a brother? Not when it comes to this lifestyle. If he's had an accident, uh, something overwhelmed him, and it's a one-time event, that's one thing. But this guy is actually living day by day with his father's wife. And it has to come to a stop in the church. It has to. So Paul says, if you're the body of Christ, then act like it. Uh, So point one is the sin itself of taking his father's wife. Point two is the attitude of the church toward it. They were proud in it. They were tolerating it. You know, there's some things you can tolerate. You can tolerate it a Christian who is immature and uh, has a lot of problems. But if they're willing to walk with God and learn from God, then we need to step out of the way and have patience to let them grow. But if you've got a serious problem like a malignancy that's attached to the body of the church, you need to get rid of that. So point number three is Paul's attitude toward it in verse 3 through 5. He's got a better attitude than they did. The sin of their action is fornication with his father's wife. And I'm sure it, it's his stepmother because if it wasn't, I'm sure uh, he would have said his mother. <clears throat> and that would even be worse than his father's wife, wouldn't it? Uh, and they are proud about it, the church there at Corinth. they uh they're not uh, proud he's doing it. They're proud of tolerating it as though they were really righteous in tolerating this guy. There is the sin of toleration, isn't there? You remember the seven letters written to the seven churches in Asia? Or the letters written to those seven churches? There's only one letter written to each one, but so I said that wrong I said seven letters to seven churches one letter to seven churches a letter to each one of the seven churches the Lord condemned two of them for tolerating uh uh the the doctrine of Balaam that taught Balak to uh uh to sin so you can just imagine their boasting uh you can hear them. Uh, we're very tolerant. Look what we put up with. I mean, we really bear with these brothers that are weak. Well, this brother isn't weak. He's, uh, he's in ignorance, and he's living day by day in this situation. And Paul says in verse 3, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. Uh, I wonder if that would be true Uh If the congregation where uh, you and I are members went through a similar situation, I think Paul would come, don't you? I know he would because uh, he'd be there in the spirit. And I've already uh, passed judgment, Paul says, on the one who did this. Just as if I were present. When you are assembled, verse 4, all together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ is present. You hand this man over to Satan so that his flesh may be destroyed. And flesh is a better translation than sinful nature. Uh, Paul goes ahead, that his flesh may be destroyed and the spirit saved on the day of the Lord. And so the discipline is to it's not to drive this guy away, but to cause him to see the wrong of it and repent. <coughs> hmm. uh, now that statement Paul makes and he's have passed judgment in the Greek literally means he's reached a decision based on evidence. And so Paul has judged the man. But more than that, he has expressed uh, not an apostolic authority, but a uh, consensus authority that this man ought to be judged. He's already expressed his judgment, but he says, you be assembled. And so there's your judgment. That yeah, My judgment is that he's, he needs to be confronted. And uh, when you're assembled, then uh, and my spirit is there with you, uh, there's his judgment. And the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is present. Here's his judgment. And so there are three witnesses to this man's judgment. And it only takes two, don't it? I mean by two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's a bide- the biblical pronouncement of the nature of judgment. Verse 5 is the action, but verse 4 is the jury. The church is there. Paul is there. And the power of the Lord is there. Speaking of church discipline, Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that has nothing to do with the assembly on Sunday morning. Uh, And so Paul's advice is hand this man over to Satan. uh, You're just committing him over to the place he's chosen to be. He's made that choice. You're not taking him from one place and putting him in another. You are simply committing him to the place he has chosen to be. But if you don't do that, he will still think that he's in the body of Christ, but by the church. So, uh, uh, so we're turning him over uh, uh, to who he belongs to—the devil. And so the intent of such action is that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved. We're not trying to isolate him in any way. We're trying to bring it to his attention that he's not walking as the Lord would have him walk. Because that's not right. He's living with his father's and wife. And so uh, uh, they're wanting his repentance is what they're after. Uh, it's cold. It's cold to be on the outside, uh, the coldness of being alone. In fact, uh, uh, the very first uh, thing that uh, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. And it's not. In any situation. He, he So he wants this sinner, Paul does, to be disciplined. Verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan. Hand him over. Uh, This is the intent of that action. Uh, What's the intent of the action? To tell him uh, you uh, are mad at him? No. uh -uh. To tell him you don't love him anymore? No, no, no. Matter of fact, this is the hardest act that love has to do. But love does it. Love will correct. If you love your children, and the Hebrew writer said that, if you love your children, you'll spank them many times. That's what it says. Now, pride won't. And so here's a congregation very proud of themselves for tolerating this fella. Uh, so pride won't, but love will. Love will reluctantly, carefully, sorrowfully Mournfully, full of, uh, of grief, uh, they'll hand this man over to Satan. They don't want to deal with it, but they know they have to. This is done with the intent that his flesh, his appetite for this woman, might be destroyed and his spirit saved in the day of the Lord. Now, we got to understand the culture of that time. We've already mentioned it. These folks at Corinth that came into the church at Paul's preaching the gospel there, uh, a couple of years before he wrote this letter, uh, they come out of some of the paganistic ways that you and I have never known, and uh, and so there's room in the church at Corinth for a lot of ignorance about Christian life. Uh, about the sobriety of our actions and things. And this is one of them that's carried over from the pagans. Maybe he didn't see anything wrong with it, but the church has got to let him know that it's wrong. They've got to start preaching and teaching on it immediately when they're all gathered together. Now, I don't get the picture here that you confront someone personally. You don't go up and say, hey, Joe, Uh, You're living with your father's wife. But you stand in the pulpit and you teach the general truth that this is fornication and it's not right. And you can't call yourself a brother in Christ and continue in such a relationship. You've got to cease with it. You've got to repent. And so that's the action that Paul's calling for. He says, when you all come together, that's the church coming together like on Sunday morning, with my spirit. So Paul will be there, and he he uh, he declares it in his letter that what his spirit was, he can already judge the matter. That this man needs to be withdrawn from, not to just withdraw from him because he's he's filthy, but to withdraw from him because you love him and you want to see his repentance. And so, uh, uh, well, I just just went blank. But, oh, when they come together with Paul's spirit and the spirit of the Lord, and by the power of the Lord's word, they're to make this known that this is not correct at all. In other words, you don't uh, do like the churches today are doing, writing letters of disfellowship and, and, and uh, uh, all of that nonsense. Uh, this is an individual thing in a collective mode. Each individual is to do this uh, collect, in a collective body of Christ. And they're to withdraw fellowship with this fellow. Well, let's go ahead here. Uh, you've let him know that he's of the devil. That this is the devil's uh, mode of operation is to get a man to live with his father's wife or something of that nature. Something that's wrong and is going to damage his soul. And their their love causes them to uh, address this problem and correct it waiting anxiously for his repentance. And the way they're going to do it, and Paul talks about uh, not to eat with this man. But we'll get into that in a minute. Now comes the appeal of Paul in the rest of the chapter. Uh, now Paul is told what their sin is, what their attitude is, and what his attitude is. Uh, that's what we've seen so far. And here's the sin, verse 1. Here's their attitude in verse 2. Here's his attitude in verse 3 through 5. And here's his appeal. Here's what he wants them to do other than simply put the man away. He said, number one, uh, do not glory. He says your boasting is not good in in verse 6. So it's not good that you boast in fellowshipping this guy. It's not good at all. And you can see how they would do that. Well, look how tolerant we are. We love this brother and we're babying him and neutering him and, and uh we're trying to bring him into line with the word of God. No. This thing has to be confronted head on. This is wrong, state it being wrong. Don't don't uh step aside from this issue at all. <coughs> and let this man know. You're going to let him know that he's uh, not a part of the body, that you don't uh, recognize him as a part of the body, you don't invite him to dinner, you don't have him, you don't eat with him. That's Paul's advice here. And so, uh, 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 so Paul talks about their pride uh, of tolerance. And he says, in essence, do not glory in men. Uh, For don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole lump? Now, leaven cannot be tolerated in the lump unless you want the lump uh, uh, leavened. And so if you don't get the yeast out, the lump is going to be yeasted. Now, you see how he's using the word yeast. This... Influence of this guy living with his father's wife is going to have an effect like yeast does through the whole body, the church. And it can't be tolerated. Uh, If you're making dough and you don't want it leavened, yet you accidentally drop uh, yeast in, uh, repentance alone is not going to save the lump. You've got to remove the affected part, verse 7. verse 7 says now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law with one another why do you not rather suffer wrong so uh, you've got to remove the affected part Uh, the quicker you work on uh, removing the yeast the less of the lump uh, you're going to lose you're going to lose some of this lump and so the quicker you Work on removing the yeast, the less lump uh, you're going to lose. If you don't want to lose the whole lump, you're going to lose the soul of the body, the congregation. And so this is not an option here that Paul is suggesting. It's very serious. Now the second thing he says that you do uh, other than do not glory, is, he says purge out the leaven verse 7 get rid of the old yeast uh, that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are as God views you he sees you without uh, yeast or this influence he does not tolerate these things uh, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed <clears throat> now in the old testament what did you have in the house of passover no leaven no yeast that was god's word no yeast you can look at it sometime in their feasts of the passover in exodus 12 and verse 15. they were not to have any yeast not even in the house And so this might say they are not able to eat the feast. That is, having fellowship with Christ uh, and his Passover. The whole congregation is in danger of losing their place of fellowship with Jesus because to eat the Passover, uh, all leaven had to be out of the house. So not only did they eat unleavened bread uh, in the Passover, but there was to be no leaven even within the walls of their house. And so everything was to be unleavened, not just the bread, uh, your house, everything is unleavened as an outward token of an inward reality. And so that's what this is, is, an outward token, an expression of an inward reality. Now there's the purity. So if <clears throat> we're tolerating knowing, and knowingly and willingly and boastfully, if we're tolerating sin within our midst, we are saying we have no fellowship with Christ. We do have fellowship with this guy that's living with his father's wife. That's actually what you're saying. Now, I hate to lose fellowship with him, uh, and I'm sure you agree with that. But I'll lose it to have fellowship with Christ if that comes to it. You can't have fellowship with both of them. I will leave my fellowship with you and keep my fellowship with Christ if it comes to it. You're very important to me, naturally, and I'm speaking like I was you or whatever. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I will cheerfully... Uh, of of. Uh, Of grief, lose my fellowship with you to keep my fellowship with Christ. Now we must realize that if we will do that, the man of God or the woman of God does the will of God in the attitude of God. What happens in God's manifest will? It's what God intended to happen. And so don't sweat what's going to happen. You just do your part and give good reason to do his his part. And he'll do the best he can, and that's the best anybody can do. So number one, he says, do not glory in your tolerance of this fellow. Number two, he says, purge out the old leaven. In other words, get rid of the yeast. And three, he says, eat the feast. That's verse eight. This is Paul's appeal. And so, do not glory in your tolerance of this fellow. Get rid of the yeast. Keep the feast. Verse 8. He says, therefore let us keep the feast. That is the Passover. Not with the old yeast of malice and wickedness, but the bread without yeast. The bread of sincerity and truth. And so he talks about two breads here. One is leavened and the others unleavened. So don't eat this Passover uh, full of malice and wickedness. Don't look down your your nose at your brother and tolerate this wickedness. Don't be divided over men, in other words. There's the malice that he mentioned in chapter 3, verse 1 and following. And get rid of this wickedness of tolerating this guy in your midst. And then you'll have new bread, and this bread of sincerity and truth. That's the nature of the bread that uh, will develop out of this. Now, Paul doesn't charge them to do anything that he's not willing to perform. He says, I've already done this in my mind. It's a done deed. Uh, And withdrawing is, although it boils down congregational, Withdrawing is what kind of action? Individual. It's an individual action. But the congregation is to do it. Uh, It's really individual acting in concert is what what it would be. Uh, All you need in four uh, or five is not doing it and it won't be effective. You just, start the East Side Church of Christ. So what we need is unity in this matter. Now, he still has one more thing he wants them uh, to do. <clears throat> Number one, don't glory. Number two, purge out the old leaven. Number three, keep the feast. Number four, separate uh, from all fornicators. Not just from this one but separate from all fornicators verse 9 through 11 and by the way he mentions other immoral people that they need to separate from he took this as an opportunity to teach a lesson on other people that they might need to hand over to uh, be handed over to Satan now again this is not an occasional act uh, that we're looking at this is somebody who has sold himself into this situation. He just didn't uh, fall in occasional. This is this is what he does every day. Living with his father's wife. <clears throat> we're talking about a lifestyle. That's what he's got. And not an occasional act uh, in any of this we're about to read. And so we're not looking for a bunch of judges here. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. He doesn't want us to become a bunch of judges. He wants us to make judgments based on the evidence. Now there's a difference, isn't there? If the evidence is that this guy's living this lifestyle, then he needs to be withdrawn from. So verse 9, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people so he's writing a letter before this this uh, first corinthian letter he's already written him a letter not to not to associate with sexually immoral people not at all meaning people of this world paul says uh who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters uh, in that case you would have to leave this world And so, you don't have to ask the grocer if he's any of these, or the uh, pharmacist if he's any of these. You don't have to worry about uh, sitting down in the idol's temple with all these ungodly people. Verse 11, But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, you're not to associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. Do you have to judge whether he's a brother or not? No, you don't. If he just calls himself a brother, if he says he's a brother, Paul points. Paul's point is anybody who claims to be your brother, you don't have to judge whether he is or not. It's not up to you to decide if the claim is true or false. If he calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or idolater, or a slander, or a drunkard, or a swindler, that would kind of speak to today's society, I think. Uh, He says, with such a man, do not even eat. Well, now, the only thing that we seem to pick up when we read the fifth chapter is this man living with his father's wife. But look how Paul bunched a a bunch of others' sins there that's just equally as bad. Covetousness. Uh, Well, we'll get into that a little bit. So that means just what it said. It's, It's not talking about eating the supper. He's already dealt with that. Don't associate with him. Don't have table fellowship with him. That's what he's telling you don't have table fellowship with him because other than the Lord's table the highest fellowship in all the world is your table I want to say that one more time so that you get it. The highest fellowship in all the world outside the Lord's table is your table you're very picky over who you invite to your table aren't you? You're very selective and there's an intimacy there that exists between you and the people that you invite to your table. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. You haven't opened it up like the border down there for anybody who wants to come in. It's by invitation. So the people that you invite to your table, you invite for a reason, uh, for closeness or wanting to be close. He says, don't be uh, close to don't be close to, don't associate with, don't even eat with people that are uh, by lifestyle immoral, greedy, idolaters, that covers covetous man, slanderers, that takes in the gossiper, drunkards, that takes in any addict uh, or a swindler. And that takes a lot of Christian businessmen. Uh, a lot of people who calls himself my brother, I wouldn't trust him with a penny. And so if we tolerate these things in the body, in the church, we don't want fellowship with Christ. That's what he's trying to get across. When we come into the past, to teach Passover, where Christ passed over our sins we were found innocent by reason of a, sac- a vicarious sacrifice and in that Passover we don't eat it with unleavened bread we get rid of the leaven that's amongst us the pollution because in this context of leaven and unleaven that's what leaven is is pollution The principle is clear, we are not to get mixed up with, and that's the literal meaning of associate there in the text. Uh, It's a big long word in the Greek, and it has within it uh, together, among, and in the midst. And so don't gather yourselves beside, amidst, among such people as this that he mentioned. It has two uh, prefixes and then a verb that says mixed up among. And so the two prefixes are with and among. So don't be with or among or mixed up among. It deals with close, intimate relationships. Now, about unsaved fornicators... Don't worry because you can't get rid of them till you leave the world. But you don't have within the body people who are doing this. Matter of fact, you must not have within the body. And so Paul makes it clear you can't call the world in repentance and separate yourself from the world. You have to work with these people. They're people of the world. But one who calls himself a brother, remember that? Paul's dealing with a man who calls himself your brother uh, and is living this way. You condemn it, and then you show, uh, waiting for his repentance, you withdraw from him. You don't invite him in this intimate relationship that you maybe once had with him. when he loses an intimate relationship he begins to asking himself up here what, what happened, what went wrong what is wrong and of course with the preaching of the, uh, of the power of the Lord and with Paul's uh, judgment uh, he knows exactly what's wrong doesn't he and then it's up to him to repent and incidentally this fellow did repent and he was in great sorrow over what he'd done. And in Second Corinthians letter, Paul said, listen, you need to show your love for this fellow uh, lest Satan get an advantage of him and to totally destroy him. And so he had repented is what I'm trying to say. And you see that in Second Corinthians. Uh, one last word in verse 12 and 13 which we have already said but if you want to make it a fifth one the fourth uh, the fourth one was separate from fornications, fornicators the fifth one would be put away the sinner but he's already said that, that's why it really is a part of the fourth one that we discussed uh, what biz- in verse uh, 12 what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Uh, you and I should get, uh, shouldn't get too concerned about what happens in the nation that we are visiting. And that's all we are, brethren, as visitors here in a foreign nation in America. Yeah, in a sense, we're, we're of this nation, that's true. But in the other sense, we're looking for a kingdom that's eternal in nature, and we belong to that kingdom. But yet, in the flesh, we're still in in America, and so, uh, so we shouldn't be too concerned about what's happening in this nation that we are visiting, and that's all we are. We're just given a visitor's visa here uh, below in these United States, so pardon us if we don't get over overly concerned because our homeland uh, has never had a race riot, never had a fixed election, never had a Watergate uh, indictment, Uh, our kingdom has never had a racial prejudice in it, and uh, we're We're into that one, and I, or we, want the sinner, practicing sinner, that is, out of that one. He don't have a place in in, uh, this kingdom. One practice uh, sinner is one who has made up his mind that he's going to live a lifestyle that Paul here condemns. So this fellow's already made up his mind, this is the way he's going to live. With his father's wife. Can't be be, uh, looked upon with uh, tolerance at all. I don't want him in my kingdom. I want him outside. Not only that my kingdom might be pure, but that he might know he's outside and repent and come back. Uh, And when he comes back, we've got a robe ready, don't we? We've got a ring ready, don't we? And we have uh, some shoes and a fat calf that we're aching to kill. Matter of fact, we've sharpened the knife daily, just aching that he comes back so it don't take but one swipe and his throat's cut and the calf is on the grill. You recognize that story that Jesus told of the Father's love. That's supposed to be our love for, the, for one another and for this man who's living with his father's wife. See, I don't uh, want uh, much hesitation. don't want much time from his, uh, Paul said, his topping the horizon. I'm going to holler over my shoulder as if I, uh, as I leap up in excitement, uh, kill the fattest lamb as I'm running with a robe around my arm, shoes in one hand, and a ring in my pocket. But meanwhile, if he chooses to stay in that hog pen, I don't want to eat with him for his sake and for the body of Christ's sake. And so, don't put up with immorality in your midst. That's what Paul's teaching here. Don't drag Christ down the street like a dirty, raggedy hand doll. And that's what you're doing when you tolerate these things. You're, the whole congregation is speaking uh, uh, and presenting wrong ideas to the world at large. Uh, suppose that happened here. There's a fellow living with his father's wife. Don't you know that'd be known all over Benton City? And don't you know that the agnostic that's uh, against the church, don't you know he's going to be talking about that till he goes hoarse around the community? The church can't afford to do that. Uh, so Paul condemns them for having this uh, pride. that They're proud within themselves for tolerating this fellow. He said, no, you got to come together as an assembly. you got to preach against this with the power of God's Word. you got to let God's Word have its influence through its power so preach that this is wrong and then each one of you need to in recognizing it's wrong you can't condone it so don't invite this guy to your table don't eat with him he's got to feel the the uh, the aloneness because all men do in one way or another because the Lord you know when he created man he said it's not good that man be alone that's why he made him help me and so this fellow is going to feel the aloneness and he's going to wonder what, what it's all about. And when he sits in the assembly and it's preached, he's going to understand very clearly. He's got to make a choice. Uh, <clears throat> verse 12b, the last part of it. <clears throat> Are you not to judge those inside Now is Paul contradicting Jesus when Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged? Of course not. Because that speaks of condemnation, doesn't it? There's a difference in judging something moral and condemning a person. There's a lot of difference. But uh, are you not to make moral decisions about these in the body? Uh, Can you not tell when a person's lifestyle is in Christ or out of Christ? Of course we can tell. That's why we avoid them. Our problem is we don't withdraw from them. We give them the cold shoulder. We don't let them wait on the table. We won't call on them for prayer. We don't expect much of them, but we just let them be uh, cancerous, sores in the body uh, instead of expelling the wicked man from our number. Uh, God will judge those outside, don't worry about them. You judge those inside in the church, in the body. Uh, You do your part and God will do his part. So expel the wicked man from your number. Now that's nearly a quotation Uh, of four or five passages in Deuteronomy 17, 19, 22, and 24. You can go back and read those sometimes. It deals with the same situation. Deuteronomy 17, 19, 22, and 24. And there are several passages that deal with se- uh, sexual sin and every time, the statement is always uh, expel that man from your number so that all Israel here can see it. You see, God wants the church so pure uh, that uh, it's attractive to an impure world or at least respected or avowed by this impure world because we're like set on the hill And so we can't uh, tolerate these kind of things. Uh, We just uh, become like the world then. Now that's Paul's plea, keep the church pure. Does that mean sinless? Not at all, not at all. But that means walking toward the light. If a man's not walking in the light, he's walking out of the light. If he is walking toward the light, he will soon be walking in uh, if he's not walking toward the light, he will soon be walking in darkness. Uh, those who walk in darkness, uh, withdraw from him. Uh, look at uh, the book of Jude, verse 20 through 25. And so the church is composed of those being built up in the most holy faith. Those that are in doubt, uh, those that are walking into the fire and that's fourth class you can only that fourth class you can only pity but you can do something with the others in that list and so the fourth class is uh, verse 12 of Jude Uh, blemishes in your love feasts That's what they are, eating with you without the slightest qualms. Shepherds who feed only themselves, clouds without rain, uh, blown about by the wind, and all of these uprooted twice dead. And so Jude tells you about those that are people still eating at your love feast. They shouldn't be. Because what does it say in 1 Corinthians not to do with people like that? Don't eat. Uh, No love feast. If we ate with each other on a regular basis, imagine being expelled from that. I cannot think of the tragedy uh, of you guys coming over and telling me, Merle, we've come to you to tell you that you're no longer considered as a brother in Christ. Uh, you're not walking. You're not welcome at the brown bag. We're not going to eat with you anymore until you come back to the Lord. Guess what he, he uh, what I just did. If you'll do, if you'll do that, I I came back to Christ in my mind. I imagine that when I study these texts, but the problem is. Uh, We withdraw sometimes from what we never had, and that's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Somebody says, well, we will withdraw fellowship from you, and the guy held up the the keys to the church building and said, well, I'm going to miss you. He just feel like he was a part of them anyway. We don't have much of a sense of family, I think we have more of a sense of family when we gather together as a Bible class sometimes as we do when we gather together at the assembled body of Christ. That's why I think that uh, that's when the Bible class went to the lady's house whose name is anonymous, and that was more pressure on her than if the elders had come to visit her cause these were people that she played softball with, that she played volleyball with, that she had gone to picnics with, and gone to lakes with. These are people she sighed and cried and laughed with. Uh, what, that's, uh, that's why 1 Corinthians 5 says, here's how you handle the sin within the body. Now you can't you can't do it unless uh, you got one to uh, uh, one to four in front of you. Those one to four things that Paul mentioned, mm-hmm. and that's the local body and what it ought to be in all the withdrawing fellowship and all that committing uh, to Satan because they don't have that sense of brotherhood and sisterhood. So how do you deal with a problem like that? Well, like Paul said, you're going to have to deal with it to be the body of Christ because the body of Christ will not tolerate somebody living day after day in will morality. Won't, won't, won't handle it. Uh, He's not just uh, fell over once or twice in sin. He's, He's made that his lifestyle, and so he needs to be confronted. What do you confront him with? Well, the Word of God. You don't go up to him and say, listen, you know, you don't write him a letter or you don't confront him personally. You preach the truth about the matter about fornication. And the whole congregation benefits from it because they know this fella and they know his situation. He's part of their, he calls himself a brother. And you're gonna have to let him know that he's not your brother. You'd like for him to be, but he's not until he repents and comes back and he leaves that lifestyle. And so when you all come together, by the spirit of Paul that he manifested he'd already judged this matter and uh, by the teaching of Christ's word that man is delivered to Satan you don't have to mention names do you? do you need to get personal that way? no no and uh, we're not in 2nd Corinthians but if you look over in, I think it's chapter nine, might be chapter two, I can't remember now. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote the second letter to the same group. And he mentioned his brother. Well, let me see if I can find it real quick. I didn't look it up. Second Corinthians. this punishment of not inviting him to their table, not eating with them, letting him know that he was not their brother and so Paul calls it a punishment here sufficient to such a man verse 6 is this punishment which was inflicted by many so so that contrariwise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you, that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. And so Paul says, listen, the guy repented. Uh, sufficient was the punishment that was administered in your uh, uh, for uh, forbearing uh, him, eat with him. And he's understood that, he felt it, and he's repented. Now, uh, give him your love. Let him know he's accepted. Let Satan get an undue advantage of him. So, uh, next week we'll begin in chapter six. what is today now you remember Paul told those Corinthians in 2nd chapter verse 1 he said when I come to you I came if you remember, knowing nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so He didn't lay out the whole gamut of how a Christian was to live. He just laid out the basis of our redemption in preaching the gospel. And that's what Jesus commissioned those men to do, didn't He? Go into all the world and preach the whole Bible? Is that what He said? No. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then after you've baptized them in view of the gospel, in view of the fact that they understand my my life, my death, my burial, my resurrection, and the reason for it. Once they understand the good news of that, and they want to be baptized into my kingdom, baptize them and then do what? And then began to teach him to observe all the things I've commanded you. Well, here the Corinthians, all they heard was the gospel. Paul said, "I just preached unto you the, the thing of most important." In 1 Corinthians 15, he told them, "The thing that's of first importance is what? The gospel. When you go to talk to somebody about salvation, the first thing is the gospel. It's the most important thing." the death, the burial and resurrection of Christ and the reason why. And then you begin to teach them later the other things. And that's what the Lord commanded. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. That's what Paul did at Corinth. And then later he hears of these problems from the house of Cole that existed there at Corinth and he writes two letters. One, uh, one after the other, uh, and in them he's correcting them for what's wrong, for particularly 17 things that was wrong with them, that they had brought in from paganism, from the previous worships that they had in pagan doctrine. But they're still a body of Christ. They're still sanctified. They're set apart for, for God. Uh, from destruction to salvation Paul made that very clear in chapter 1 verse 1 through 9 didn't he made it very clear to him how precious they were Uh, even with all of their problems and that included the man living with his father's wife but he needed to understand that that was not the Christian lifestyle and he had to repent of that and he did Well, we'll begin chapter six next week.